On the Air premiered on ABC on June 20th, 1992. Let's put 25 minutes on the clock. I love studying Chris and Grimes. They're talking all of your favorite shows, but only the pilot episode that means the first show, in case you didn't know. You never know what show they're gonna talk about, but they're only gonna talk about the first one. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Hello and welcome to Pilot Study episode number 58. My name is Chris Lantinen and I'm your host. And I'm joined as always by my co-host. He's the love of all our lives. It's Grimes. Welcome Grimes. What's up sir? How are you today? I'm doing just fantastic. It's Sunday morning. I've got my Tim Hortons coffee. Beautiful. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. good. And joining us is a very special guest today. He is my resident David Lynch expert in that anytime I don't understand Twin Peaks, I message him, he forwards the question on to his wife, and then between the two, they usually have the answer to my question. <laughs> it's Modern Vinyl's own, Alan Miller. Welcome, Alan. Hey, guys. Alan, that's that's such a true statement, too. Like You always <laughs> message me after the show, and then I run it through my wife and get back with you. That's yeah. such a true statement. So you are in like a David Lynch household. Like your wife has a David Lynch tattoo. You guys are going to be right. watching the finale. If um, Obviously, this will come out a few days afterwards, but we are recording this the morning of the finale for Twin Peaks The Return. So you and your right. wife are settling in for quite the emotional day. Yeah, it's we are a David Lynch household. I think that's the proper way to, to talk about it for sure. We've got like a subway size poster of the Fire Walk with Me movie and stuff like that. So it's it's crazy around here. And John, you're you're on the opposite end of the scale, right? Have you seen any David Lynch movies, or are you coming into this like the complete amateur? Or what's your what's your uh, literature you've you've taken in my, on the Lynch end? My experience with David Lynch is his Louis story arc. <laughs> So, as the guy who gets Louie ready for um, Letterman's job, and then also as the bartender and family guy. Oh my God. So, we're not talking any directorial David Lynch efforts. We're talking about. No, I haven't uh, seen Lost Highway or any. Blue Velvet or no, no. Racerhead. I know all about them, and it's one of those things, kind of like reading the classics. It's like I have not gotten around to watching many of the classics. And I so. think, and I think you, you know, just judging by your um, your past habits and such, I won't name any of the past habits, but your past <laughs> habits and some of your views on the world in general, I think that you would really identify with a lot of the Lynch catalog. <laughs> I think that you I think would, I would as well. I think you would you would see it as maybe not quite a transcendent experience, but one where um, you found somebody that matched up with your general worldview and oh, wow. kind of like aesthetic. So I don't know. Maybe this will be your. This is a weird, a weird ass entry point, but it's possibly <laughs> your entry point. So, of course, we are doing the show on the air. This is the David Lynch and Mark Frost follow up to the original run of Twin Peaks. The episode title of the pilot is The Lester Guy Show. The episode description, The Lester Guy Show is about to premiere live with a dramatic kitchen scene planned as the show's climactic moment. A mishap with the sound effects board and a comical head injury reduces the kitchen scene to farce. 
redeemed by starlet Betty Hudson's tender rendition of a song, The Bird in the Tree. So we have, as Lester Guy, we have Ian Buchanan, who of course played Dick Tremaine on the original run of Twin Peaks. Dick has not appeared in The Return, right? No. He hasn't. Okay, he has not. He is still alive, correct? <laughs> I think so, yes. Okay, okay, because I know some of them haven't appeared because they obviously cannot. I just didn't want to, like, say... I didn't want to seem like an amateur here. Uh, we have Nancy <laughs> Ferguson as Ruth Trueworthy. We have Miguel uh, Farrer as Bud 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 Bud, Bud Waller. <laughs> That's how his name. It's Bud, and then Bud is the beginning of his last name. Bud Waller. Bud Bud Waller. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember how they pronounce it in the show, but it's like Buck Buck Waller or something like that. Like they don't do a hard D in it for some okay. reason. Okay, yeah, th- that but that is the IMDb, so I guess that's his name. Uh, we yeah. have Gary Grossman as Bert Sheen, Mel Johnson Jr. as Mickey, Marvin Kaplan as Dwight McGonagall, David L. Lander as the um, director with the heavy accent, Valdia Gotchnik, something like that. I can't quite pronounce it, but Kim McGuire as Nicole Thorne and Marla Rubinoff as Betty Hudson. A lot of people that didn't do um, a ton after after that, but only like the two peaks mm. carryovers, right, Alan? I believe so, yeah. I think yeah. Miguel, Miguel Ferrer and then, um, yeah, Ian, whatever. Oh, no, no, David, David Lander was a, was a carryover too, wasn't he? he Which, okay, who was David Lander in the show? He's the director guy. Uh, yeah, he was. He was in the um, like the second season, like yeah, towards the end of the second season. He is he is um, Tim Pinkle, and yeah. I, do, I don't even remember that storyline. <laughs> so I don't apparently. think it was much of anything. I don't think he did much in the in the show, but he was in it. I yeah. remember reading something about how Tim Pinkle was like accident prone or something like that in Twin Peaks, so uh, maybe, maybe he fell down a lot. I have no idea. <laughs> So anyways, this is, again, the uh, the post-Twin Peaks collaboration between Frost and Lynch. Uh, and, of course, they brought along a bunch of their friends on the technical side. We have ex-Peaks talent, such as writers Robert Engels and Scott Frost, directors Leslie Linka-Gladder and Jonathan Sanger, cinematographer Ron Garcia, editor Mark or Mary Sweeney, and, of course, the composer Angelo uh, Badalamente. Lynch well, even Even more than that is the uh, casting director, Joanna Ray, who is the casting director for every single Lynch project. And I believe the, um, it's not, it's not called the stage designer, but something, whatever the term for that is in television. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, whatever, whatever the, uh, the, the stage designer is called, I can't quite remember it, but that person is in this as well. And, uh, Lynch of course directed this pilot, um, Frost and Lynch wrote it together. And I think you're the, you're the logical place to start here, Alan. So, (laughs) This is a show I had never heard before you until you brought it up to me. I think because I'm a late arriver to Twin Peaks, that's probably why. But Twin Peaks airs its final episode on June 10th, 1991, and they're back almost a year later with this new show. Um, yeah. Give me give me a general history of how you came to know on the air, if it was like it, directly in that time, if it was a discovery afterwards. I want to know how you came to it first. I think that on the air is kind of like my, um, like the Star Wars holiday special. Like it's that (laughs) weird thing that, that you only hear about in whispers. Like you, you, like back in the day anyways, now it's like common knowledge, but back before I'm going to date myself a little bit. So I found out about on the air around 2002, maybe 2003, and I don't remember specifically. I think I read about it when I was reading about Lynch and something. And they were talking about this failed show he had called On the Air. 
And for a Christmas gift one year, I was buying all these special edition DVDs for my wife that were like all the Lynch movies, like the special edition DVDs of the Lynch movies because she had everything on VHS. But anyhow, on the air is practically impossible to find around that time. You cannot find it anywhere. And I think maybe eBay was just starting to be a big deal maybe around the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. So I actually ordered a bootleg DVD copy of it (laughs) from Japan, which if you watch it on YouTube, you'll notice those Japanese subtitles at the bottom. But I ordered it from Japan, and that's that's the first time I watched it. And I think me and her, like, we we got one of those portable DVD players. You remember the old, like, flip-up screen yep. portable DVD yep. players? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We bought one for a plane trip to Canada, I think, or something like that. And we watched it on the way to Canada. And we're like, what is this? <laughs> what are we watching right now? So, um, but in but the thing about Japan is Japan had all the episodes of the run. So there's like maybe seven or eight total episodes, I think. There's seven. Yeah. But, but the U.S. only got three episodes, so everything else had to come from Japan. It got the swift cancellation. Oh yeah. <laughs> it got the very very swift cancellation, and in terms of the release of it, it got a VHS release in America. And then, like, all the bootleg DVD stuff, like you said, usually originates from Japan. But even, like, the copy on YouTube, it looks like it was taken from VHS and then put on DVD. Right. Like, this isn't, like, a, D- a crisp D- DVD copy. You've got, no, like, no. the... The, the like, YouTube copy is the copy I have. So that's what was being yeah. sent around back in the day. It, the colors are all off. And I think we should mention that just because we, we are not... You know, we we can't come into this podcast seeing we saying that we've seen the best possible version of this pilot because the yeah. colors all are all off. There's like that exposure kind of like at the top of the frame. It's it's got like some technical deficiencies, but that's I mean that's what we're gonna see <laughs> with this pilot. I don't think they're like itching right. to re-release this, unfortunately. But like uh. that, the whole show is a technical deficiency. So <laughs> it's like, where do you draw the line between how you're supposed to see it versus how we watched it? You know, this is ranked number fifty-seven on this. Uh, TV Guide made a list of the best of the greatest television episodes of all time in 1997, and. They listed this as number 57, and this is like, number one's like Mary Tyler Moore, you know, the, those types of shows, you know, occupy the top ten. But this is, like, people really think this is a quite the marvel that it came in at number 57. I don't know, they redid it in like 2007 or 2012 or something like that, and I assume it dropped off in the meantime because we've, you know, been in peak TV and we have all these landmark shows that have come and gone. But at one point it was, you know... It was in the top 100, which is kind of crazy. That's baffling. Very I don't baffling. understand that at all. Very baffling. Um, I got, I've got some history here. So AV Club uh, did a couple nice articles about it. So Lynch and Frost set the series in 1957 at the fictional Zablotnik Network as it prepares to launch a new variety series called The Lester Guy Show. The pilot episode, as we said, co-written by Frost and Lynch, directed by Lynch. Uh, this was shot in, Mar- in March of 1991, by which the time... Uh, so Twin Peaks had been pulled from the schedule after episode 20. I think, I think I'm right in that. So it gets pulled at episode 20, and it's got two more. But in between that time of 20 and 21 airing, they shoot this. And so Peaks, and there was no guarantee that Peaks was, Peaks was going to come back and actually run those last two episodes, which is wild in retrospect. But eventually ABC does run those two remaining episodes in June. And um, 
so in the meantime, they make this on the air pilot, and apparently it tests surprisingly well with audiences. So the network orders six additional ones, and right after right after Twin Peaks was canceled in June of 1991, on the air is like ready to go a year later, but they put it in that same Saturday slot that Twin Peaks died in. So Twin Peaks, when it comes back in season two, I don't know if it happens right away, but eventually they put it on Saturday. And that's just not good. <laughs> yeah, that, that was what killed it, for sure. From a general TV position. And Miguel mm-hmm. Frauer said, it was quoted as saying, of the Saturday drop, why don't they just put a bullet in its head? Huh. <laughs> and Lynch said of this, when I love the show and people seem to love the show, what's wrong when we're not given a primo <clears throat> spot? So yeah, pretty crazy um, that it gets stuck on Saturdays. But I guess... And Alan, you can maybe add some more context to this, but Twin Peaks fell pretty hard and fast in that second season. Again, to where they had two more episodes and they waited like a month to actually air them. Yeah, there there was a combination of problems in that second season. One was uh, Lynch was involved in a lot more projects and he didn't have as much time to devote to the second season. So they started getting every director that wanted to direct something to come in and do an episode and they would come in and say, like, well, what's the weirdest shit we can do? And they would just try to throw that in. And it lost the charm of what Lynch does with it when he goes weird. Because he has a very he has a very Lynch way of doing things to where it's not just weird for the sake of being weird. And I think you could spot that a mile away. And, like, some of the storylines in season two just really terrible. Like, the Evelyn Marsh thing and all that sort of stuff is just not good. And I think people... People dropped off. And, you know, of course, you find out who killed Laura Palmer in season two, which was terrible. You should have never found that out. So sidebar here. Are you were you unsatisfied with the general conclusion of the Laura Palmer mystery or were you unsatisfied as to when it occurred in the season? You know, I'm I'm satisfied with it, but I can see why Lynch didn't want to, like, just let the cat out of the bag. Okay, because there's you can keep telling more story without uh, giving away who actually killed Laura at some point, it doesn't really matter who killed Laura, you know, like at some point the story just kind of takes over and you don't have to know exactly what happened. And I think that's where Lynch got frustrated with it was, you know, the, the suits were telling him, well, we've been saying who killed Laura Palmer forever. So you got to tell him. And he really didn't want to. So, so you're, once you're, he did, you're more dissatisfied with just the idea of Lynch succumbing to, or a Lynch property succumbing to a general TV conclusion. Yeah, because I don't think he wanted to. I think it would have been a lot more interesting if he wouldn't have, for sure. Gotcha. Okay, so (laughs) the big question I want to tackle here is, like, what am I missing? Because, like, Keith Phipps... Right, same here. (laughs) Keith Phipps at the AV Club called it, quote, pretty brilliant. Russ Fisher at Slash Film loved it, like, in these, like, post-write-ups when they're going back and revisiting it. I mean, I think it's pretty much a disaster, and I think... John, you're maybe a little more positive on it, but you are in the same ballpark as me. I don't know. Alan, throw out your defense of on the air before we all right. before we dive into okay. why we don't quite understand it. And first of all, I'll say this first. I'm not going to downplay any problems you guys have with it because I think it has a lot of problems as well. I don't think it's particularly paced very well and there's a lot of weird acting choices, but... It's uh, the way my wife described it was like an early, less witty version of 30 Rock at times. Like 
the way they have the banter when they're on set, like preparing for the show that they're going to do reminds you a lot of how they do on 30 rock when they're on set, when somebody will say one thing and then it'll get misconstrued another way. And, you know, a comedy of errors and all that sort of, sort of deal. But I honestly, I get more chuckles out of it just out of the pure absurdity of it. Like it is so absurd, like to the nth degree absurd, like the, the blinky character, (laughs) I mean, he's yeah. he's probably my favorite thing about it. Just when they show, like, what he sees versus what everybody else around him. Sees. I did I did enjoy that. There there are definite yeah. definite moments I enjoy, and that was one. Of and them. and the the whole thing with um, the Dick Tremaine character, I can't think of what his name is in the show. Lester but guy, Lester guy. Yeah. So, you know, they they do the setup where you see what the show's supposed to look like if everything runs through properly. Whichever it's kind of boring. It's like whatever. But then when everything starts falling apart towards the end, and especially when he's like dangling from his foot and swinging back and forth while the other dude's just like random firing up into the air and he's still like giving these ridiculous lines out. I I don't know. I love it. I thought it was just ridiculous and and fun. John, you haven't you haven't (laughs) dived in yet. I'm I'm very curious as to your thoughts. I mean, as I was watching, I did keep thinking to myself, what am I missing? I put it on myself because I know David Lynch's reputation um, just as a director and creator and weirdo. And I love it all. I love everything I've heard about him. So I went in like, yeah, this will be cool. And then I kept just thinking like, yeah, what am I not getting out? I had so much trouble pulling any like moments or any things even out of it. And I just didn't know. Like you mentioned before, Alan, about weird for the sake of weird. And I didn't want to think that because I'm like, well, David Lynch, you know, there must be some like genius angle I'm missing. Um, but some yeah, of the I, shit to me was just really weird. And I like got bored of it. I got bored of trying to figure everything out. And I think that's OK. I, I think that's an OK response to it, because I don't necessarily think that he's doing weird for the sake of weird as much as this is just what he finds funny. Yeah. And I don't yeah. think that wow, everybody's I don't think everybody's <laughs> gonna think this is funny at all. Like this is not I can't believe it was on ABC. I just can't exactly. imagine in the early nineties when you're talking about probably like Tim the Toolman Taylor and dinosaurs and shit like that. They put <laughs> this on like regular TV. I'm like, wow. Imagine like a seventy year old. That's what I love on. though. Yeah, that's exactly what I love about it, is it's so absurd. And yet he was able to get it greenlit somehow. Who fucking knows how that happened? But it's amazing. Yeah, I'm not, uh, Malone carried so much weight, but I'm like, wow. Yeah, it, it is amazing. I'm not sure if like this type of humor, just in general, doesn't appeal to me, or if the jokes here are just poorly executed. But I think, I think we all together we do cut Lynch a ton of slack. So that might be where some of the praise that I previously mentioned is coming from. Like in 2014. You're not going to find many critics who are going back and like, yeah, this is a pretty down period in Lynch's career. They're all going to find right. something genius within it, especially like in retrospect. But never was I invested in the story or never did I really want to know where this was going. Like in terms of Twin Peaks car- carryovers, I liked them in terms of acting. Like obviously Miguel is like the best and has always been the best yeah. and is a legend and I'm uh, you know RIP um, but besides, like, Blinky, which we'll get to, none of the characters really pulled me in. Like, I, I don't even know if I'd classify this as 
absurdist humor like at first i thought well maybe there's something like british in here because like whenever i don't understand humor (laughs) it must be something british that's happening and maybe that's why i don't get it because but i mean british humor is more dry and more mean-spirited i think than anything that's going on here this is like a different brand and i think what what you said alan about i think david lynch just finds different things funny than i find funny yeah like with the absurdist thing i i I do think this is absurdist comedy because i think you can draw a line between the and and i don't i'm not justifying this thing because i don't really even like it in the show but the thing where you have a director that's got this weird accent and somebody that's constantly translating for him Mm -hmm. even though you don't really need it it you can draw a line between that and like the monty python sketches where they had the guys with the weird shit on their heads talking all funny where you could barely understand what they were saying. Like it, it's not that far away from it. It's just that on Monty Python, they, they executed it much better than Lynch did on, on the air. That's, that's kind of the way I look mm-hmm. at it. Um, I, I want to read one more thing from the AV club. Cause I think they just kind of nail this. They state in one 10 minute burst of the episode, we get a concentrated dose of what Lynch finds funny. Ridiculous sight gags, the man with uh, his suspenders stuck in the drawer. Visual puns, the hot line that shoots fire. Off-the-wall non-sequiturs, jungle tribesmen dragging a raft through a domestic scene for no apparent reason. Communication Mm. breakdown, the hopeless accents of, again, however you pronounce the director's name, and his uncle, network owner Mr. Zablotnik, and general cacophony, all the sound effects going on at once while Lester swings helplessly by his feet. The communication breakdown is definitely something that we can draw a straight line from on the air to Twin Peaks The Return. The candy Mitchum brother stuff, I, I still do not understand why this is a highlight of The Return or why people talk about it in such endearing terms. It's completely boring to me. And a lot of the communication breakdown stuff that he finds funny in Twin Peaks The Return seems to be not born from, but seems to be on display here in this episode, for sure. And I don't yeah, know. It's a, it's a theme he likes. He, he loves that theme of not <laughs> Why being does he like that? I don't understand. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But there's also, did you get a vibe when, you, when he would pan out and show the radio tower or the TV tower? Did you get that same kind of vibe as the radio station in The Return? Yeah, Like the definitely. 50s radio station? Mm-hmm. He just... He loves these little vignettes, and he uses them in almost everything he does. Even the even like the non sequiturs type of stuff, where like the tribesmen are kind of roaming through this domestic. See, I scene. love that shit too. I love that shit. You see I that thought, you see that a lot in the original, not a lot, but you see it a couple times in the original Twin Peaks with like uh, people that are staying at the hotel there, and like there will be yeah. some kind of dialogue scene, and then randomly you'll see some somebody going across in the background that's just staying there, and it's just like a funny quick sight gag. Or like the hurry up twins, like what the shit is that? Like Fucking hurry up twins. twins going hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, and like that, <laughs> it makes no sense. That's where I'm getting the absurdist part from. But I guess I see, I see it more. The word I would describe it as is like slapstick. It's just like a yeah. lot of physical humor. This is like him getting his physical humor out of his system, and <laughs> I don't know. A guy yeah, that doesn't understand know. slapstick trying to do slapstick. I, I I just I felt like a dummy. I felt like a dummy who needed pictures in his book. You know, like I felt very stupid watching this. Whenever, whenever, whenever it was like a visual gag, like the phone thing, um, the dude that's and I want to talk about this in a second, but the dude who's just kind of hanging out in the kitchen 
when they're like starting that segment and won't leave. Oh, I love that. Like, I love that scene. That kind of the whole blinky thing and like the what he sees, that kind of stuff made me laugh. But then whenever the humor was straight dialogue based, it was yeah. too offbeat for me. So that's where yeah. like the dummy who needs pictures in their book thing. Kind well, of how many from. times did you guys watch it? Just once? Just the one time? I watched, uh, yeah, I watched it twice. I watched it once. Yeah, I usually okay. watch these twice, yeah. I think it gets better on like the second and third viewing, honestly, just because it bombards you with so much shit there at the end and that you can't hardly take it all in. Another sight gag that's really good is the network executives in like that roped off area and it's <laughs> Yeah, says, that was that was when I laughed. It says network executives on it. <laughs> right. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about things that we liked. Let's just let's break it down into things that we liked and things that we didn't like. John, I'll let you go first. I also wrote down in my notes Thirty Rock, so I want yeah. that uh, Alan brought that up. I think that nice. that's definitely Larry Sand- uh, heavy Larry Sanders vibes as well. Right. So I like the behind the scenes kind of stuff. I did like that network network executives um, sign there. I like that. Um, it kind of like takes Hollywood to task by using Hollywood and getting on, you know, ABC, like we mentioned, that was pretty cool that this even exists, let alone was aired and, mm-hmm. you know, did get three episodes out in America. And I like stuff that feels like I'm on drugs when I'm not on drugs. <laughs> and so I think this qualifies for why, sure. <laughs> why have you not watched any Lynch stuff? This is it's like his whole catalog is like that. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Sometimes I think that I like save things or I forget like whole You know, it's the same thing with, like, Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, I just think I save things so I can binge them, and and now might be the time to get into Lynch. If you like that, if you like that on drugs but not on drugs feeling, I think Lost Highway is going to be your gateway into the Lynch world. Everybody tells me to start there, yeah. Yeah, that whole film is just like you're on drugs the whole time. I think Blue Velvet, especially, like, the 20-minute sequence where McLaughlin gets taken by Dennis Hopper, I think that's mm. like a very um, psychedelic uh, trip. Like it has a lot of psychedelic trip like imagery involved yep. as well. So I let think me ask you this: Are his too. movies are his movies very violent? Also, or are they oh, more weird? For sure. Yeah, super they're violent. violent. Yeah. Okay, good because I throw that in, and I'm definitely sold. He's like yeah, he's like violent. Tarantino. Oh, okay. If Tarantino was not interested in like radio rock from the '70s, but instead was interested in jazz. <laughs> oh, oh okay I, I don't know i don't know if i would say he's like tarantino so much as far as the violence part like lynch's violence is weird like it will be things that you just would never see coming like the kind of like not straight ahead violence like gun comes out and you shoot someone like yeah, you know, I don't want to ruin anything from Lost Highway, so I'll just stop there. But it's well, just, it's odd violence. My, my, my point with that comparison is that when Tarantino does violence, it's very much in, like, big riffs, you know? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, for he's sure. Like, he's, for just, sure. he's just, like, riffing. <laughs> yeah. But when Tarant- or when Lynch does violence, it's like, again. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, like, planned out. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, like, meandering. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it goes through these different waves, kind of like jazz does, just in the way they operate, I guess, is what I was trying yeah, to that's, say. Yeah, that's a good comparison, yeah. Uh, yeah, things, I, can, I think I can do that. Things I like, uh, set design. That's what, not stage design. Set design is the phrase I was looking for earlier. It feels like a really unique uh, TV environment, and I think they... I think if it, as it goes on, I assume it explores that studio more so, much in the way that um, Twin Peaks eventually is, you know, an area of exploration and has this mystical feel to it, especially in The Return. 
Um, yeah. And they would have explored it in ways that made like the studio feel weird. That, that's just my guess. Because um, obviously, like, fire is already come out, coming out of phones, so it's already kind of like a mystical location. But anyways, uh, Bud Waller, great. Like I said, Miguel is great. Um, I think if, like, McLaughlin didn't exist, Miguel Far- uh, Farrer would probably be, like, the quintessential Lynch actor. So anything that he's in... I'm just 100% behind. And, uh, yeah, so set design, and he, he's like the lead role, basically. And, again, a lot of those visual sight gags I was into. Nice. What, what, what are your straight favorite parts of the pilot, Alan? Um, you know, I the blinky scene just kills me. Like, I, I get a hard chuckle out of that every time when mm-hmm. they show, like, they they do this weird voiceover where they explain what he sees. <laughs> yeah, they do a voiceover, and it's like, which is bizarre. He sees like 26 times more than the average person sees. Blinky Watts is not blind. He suffers from Bozeman simplex. He actually sees 25.62 times as much as we do. If we were to see what Blinky is seeing right now, it would look something like this. So like they they do a, a shot from his viewpoint and it's like the craziest collage of random <laughs> terrible graphics just floating around and noises and it's i love that gag um i really enjoyed the uh i i love the whole final like when everything's going to shit i love that i think it's fantastic when the curtains open and the old dude just standing at the at the corner of the set, I and love, it's kind of I love that scene. I, I it's kind of creepy. Just, it's creepy, like, and you and you've never seen him before that moment, no. which is you great. Tell he's, he's just, just he's random. in the he's in the wrong spot. He's he doesn't need to be there. I I love the uh, I love the dude that's supposed to be her husband when he's when he's in the phone booth trying to like get the scene to work and he's like i was not just in there a few minutes ago yeah. i'm actually away from and then they just start moving the phone booth away and that's he's like i'm in my office now and i love that shit i think that's fantastic and then i i don't know i just love the whole the whole second half of it but like you guys you know the first time i watched it i didn't know what to do like i didn't know what to do with it like what did i just sit through i, I <laughs> it, I didn't really think it was all that funny the first time I watched it. To be honest, it took me two or three, wa- two or three watches to actually, you know, kind of like it a little bit. Let's go with things I didn't like. I didn't like, uh, or things we didn't like. I didn't like uh, the network president's assistant or whatever. Like, if you're already an overactor, that like <laughs> that emerges very quickly in David Lynch productions because he seems to be pretty encouraging in that department so there there's this story about twin peaks the return about jim belushi's character jim belushi's in twin peaks the return john if you didn't know that and he like tries to improv or something at some point and lynch just shuts him down like immediately which is funny to me because while lynch doesn't like improv in his stuff he seems to enjoy like actors taking his material and just like blowing it out to like heights that could not exist on the page and i think she being an overactor is exposed pretty early on as just like hysterical i saw that nitwit betty walking near the lamppost just before we went on <laughs> and you know i didn't I don't, I don't like that lynch doesn't go full lynch here like he obviously has moments like the italian family stuff like the family that's all wearing um wife beaters <laughs> uh the blue filter like when you're looking through the camera 
moments like that. Um, but but most of the time, the camera is like pretty static. Uh, the shot choices are pretty standard for like a sitcom or like again like what Larry Sanders would do. But maybe it's really hard to make like a, a directorial mark in twenty minutes. Like the the Twin Peaks pilot is like two hours network <laughs> time, so he has like a whole ninety minutes to like make his mark. But here it's twenty minutes, so it's kind of hard to. I don't know. As I said, I'm not like the Lynch fanatic that other people are, but. And I can see the humor, his like choice humor, in here, but I can't see a lot of his um, his actual directorial vision. I suppose that would be my that would be my main complaint. Alan, what do you not like? Do you not like anything about this pilot? Oh yeah, there's there's a lot that I don't like. I think that one thing that is just kind of ridiculous and I don't like. I don't like the fart noises in the opening. Yeah, scene. What is with the fart? That I was, was gonna say weird. that. I was gonna bring that it, up. It's, no, it's for real. Like that's that's in the song is a fart noise, and I don't I don't like it. I just don't think it's funny, and I I don't get why. I'm sure he thought in his head it would be hilarious, but I I don't think so. Like I think that, like Battlementi, how do you think he felt about he composed this like beautiful intro song, and then Lynch was <laughs> like, so I'm gonna insert two farts <laughs> in there. I hope you don't mind. fuck is going on with this yeah, show because yeah. bad lamenti's themes in the show are really nice like it's really good music but uh yeah i don't i don't like that at all i don't um uh, yeah i don't care for like the pacing of it very much at all and it gets worse throughout the series but i i don't think that lynch and and we we need to also be clear this is not just lynch it's lynch and frost and i just i I'm not real sure they know how to pace a comedy at all. Like these guys do drama really well and they do comedy vignettes really well. But when they try to do an all out comedy, I just don't think it works at all. And that that's one of my main concerns with it. But um, outside of that, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with the rest. It's not something I'm going to go back to very often, but I still think it's kind of fun to watch. John, what, what, uh, what do you think is without defense? Because Alan, Alan, Alan's doing pretty, a pretty good job of defending a lot of it. What do you think right. is like beyond any rational defense? <laughs> well, let me let me just come in as a very mainstream milk toast television. No, viewer. no, we, we we definitely need that viewpoint. I think that would be important to establish. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Like you, <laughs> it seems like if you have no. If you have no background or you don't know who the hell David Lynch and Mark Frost are, you're going to turn this thing on and just seriously be like, what in the fuck? Like, it's just too much of a learning curve. First of all, catching like, yeah, we know now because it's 2017 and we've all watched 30 Rock and we've all watched 20 years of comedy and we're all adults and stuff. But like not it's just I just think for regular people, this is too much. Like Lynch is too much. That's why he's known for movies and not television. I think like you need two hours to let him do his thing. And I also think it seems like it only got made because they're the creator by guys. Like other than that, um, it, it just seems like they were like, well, yeah, let's see what happens if we let David Lynch make a sitcom. And that's not really beyond that. I didn't get anything out of it. I just felt like this is weird. And 
I watched it in three parts also. I didn't watch the Japanese subtitle one. There was another way to watch it, like in three chunks. And I think that actually made it worse. <laughs> uh, because every time a new part would start, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like any artistic merit it has, and I'm sure it has plenty that I'm not catching, uh, it was just lost on me because I was bored of just trying to figure everything out and be like, well, like we said before, well, it's David Lynch. It's got to be my fault. Like Maybe it just wasn't that great of a pilot, and that's why his movies are good. I, think I'll, I don't know. I think I'll also state that, although I'm not a fan of the... Anytime David Lynch gets a show on television, whether it's this or um, Twin Peaks The Return, although, and again, I, I don't love Twin Peaks The Return either, I'm just happy that this exists as a part of television history. Because it's so, like you said, it's so fucking weird. If nobody else could do it, nobody else could make Twin Peaks The Return. And although I think a lot of the episodes are pretty boring, I know other people love them, and I'm also just happy that it exists. And that weird shit. I would have to agree with that. Made. Like, yeah, I would have to agree with that. It's a miracle anything gets made, let alone something that isn't complete milk toast garbage, you know? He's just a pure artist in, in that, you know, I was watching this and Game of Thrones, the new season, or Twin Peaks and Game of Thrones <laughs> at the same time. And yeah. Game of Thrones is now obviously off book. And that's like been the big thing this year is that George, they've, they've burned through the Martin material. And you can just see that they are not on the same level as George Martin yep. and they don't have the same um, brutal streak and they don't have the same ability to subvert expectation. And so there are these pure artists that exist within our world, George Martin being one, David Lynch being another. And it's just like wa watching those two back to back, it's just like whiplash. Cause like one is doing TV convention applied to this, um, uh, fantastical tale but they're still doing like typical tv breaks and cliffhangers and then lynch is just like i don't give a fuck what tv is. you know this is what i did I'm the same about. thing <laughs> i did the same thing you were doing chris i yeah. was watching both of those back to back it's like and i it's found so it damn incredibly awesome. different i found it almost impossible because what lynch was doing just challenges your brain so mm -hmm. much to try to figure out what's happening and right. then you get the Game of Thrones, and it's like, oh, here's your here's your supper. Let's spoon feed it to you here real quick, because yeah. you already know everything. And it's the it, it's not that one's better than the other. It's just so different. Like if if like the finale aired tonight, and the main character, and I won't spoil like who. I mean, obviously, you know that Kyle McLaughlin's in the series. If McLaughlin got gunned down by a drive by two minutes in, I'd be like, oh. That you know, that kind of makes sense with what I've seen so far. <laughs> but if he went on like a traditional hero arc in this final episode, I think that made sense too. You just don't get that feeling with Game of Thrones anymore. It's it's again very conventional in its plotting and how they leave episodes and how they leave seasons. And if Twin Peaks has no resolution, then again that will make sense. Yeah, it's like, you know, with Walking Dead when it first came out, everybody was like, oh, you don't know who's going to die. You never know yes, what's going to happen. <laughs> well, with Lynch, you don't with Lynch, you don't know who's going to explode into a ball of light and go up into the atmosphere <laughs> and become <laughs> the new like world for everyone to live inside of. Like it, there's there's no way to even guess anything about what's going to happen. Yeah. I wish somebody had died in this pilot. That would have really gave it a nice extra edge. <laughs> uh, but, you know, one last that thing I'll say. That poor dog, though. We didn't talk about the poor dog. In oh, the yeah. Pilot. It gets, like, booted, right? Oh, my God. It gets booted. It has a string tied to its collar, and they, like, 
pull it down to the food because it doesn't want to eat it. What's Which another a, good gag is it throwing up the food. That was kind of funny. That was good. What what's uh, Lynch's history with dogs on screen? I don't think uh, there's no dogs in Twin Peaks, are there? Like nobody has a dog. No, nobody. Isn't, has that, isn't that strange? Oh no, nobody no, 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 no. Has a Somebody dog. does have a dog. Somebody does have a dog. Uh, in the return. Mark Frost has a cameo where he's out walking his dog in the woods. That was just a couple episodes ago. <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> we got a wait, new wait. segment called Looking at Dogs. Looking at Dogs, yeah. <laughs> uh, we will do one of our special segments here in a second, but let's do some random notes. Um, so the first note I have is uh, for the title sequence, and mm. I, I just wrote, Did anyone hear a fart? question mark (laughs) (laughs) yep we all heard it so i'm glad everybody else heard that uh betty the co-star of the show she just really reminds me of lucy from twin peaks she even has like the same vocal tones uh she was um played by marla rubinoff and imdb calls her most memorable roles as down to earth from 1984 to 87 the tv show and she's in the new WKRP in Cincinnati from 91 to 93. I heard the latter show is pretty good, so I'd like to explore that someday on this program. Um, like I said, immediately it feels like a goofier, stranger version of the Larry Sanders show, obviously because of like the TV show within the TV show setting. And even in the pilot, like in Larry Sanders, we have a look behind one of the bits um, that will be on the episode's show in question. Um, if you remember the Larry Sanders pilot, it was like, um, introduce, you know, Larry was forced to introduce ads into his show, and that was kind of like the central conflict. Do not move Blinky's levers. I love that little sign that's on there because he, uh, Blinky, so Blinky can see, but he mm-hmm. can't see his levers. Is that what's going on? Yeah, I don't think he can see, like, he can see so much, he can't focus in on, like, a okay, small okay. object. Because he has, like, a pal, he ha- like he has, like, this friend who tells him, like, okay, pull this lever, or we're yeah. queuing up this music, or whatever. So, it seems like he's blind, but also he sees everything? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now you got it. <laughs> uh, probably the most Lynchian character is the makeup guy who has the weird French mustache and who can't <laughs> stop shaking. He's, like, the most Lynchian character in there. That's like someone I can see in basically any of his movies. Um, it's like it's like Dolly being a makeup artist. It's really weird. It's very very strange. And Lynch in general seems interested in late night, given his appearance on Louis, which John had referenced. Um, have you have you seen that arc, Alan? I, I think I did. Like it's been a few years ago, right? Yeah, it was. A few yeah, years it was ago. way back. It was like three or four episodes. He's like training Louis to be a late night host. Yes, I yeah. do. I do remember seeing it. I just don't remember much about it. He's really good. In it. He's really good in it. But uh, yeah, that's all I have for random notes. So what do you got, Alan? Anything, I don't have anything any. that we haven't covered. No, we're all <laughs> no, good. We've, we've, we've covered everything that I had. Yeah, uh, John. Uh, we covered it all for me. One last random note for me. So obviously, Ian Buchanan, Dick Tremaine gets boosted up to a lead role here. That's a tradition of the you know the director pulling somebody who shined in a previous role and pushing him um, up into the lead role. Like Scorsese does it a lot, Apatow does it a lot. So I thought that was worth uh, referencing their relationship and how it kind of developed there. I've got some reviews. So first up, Variety from 1992. They state the seven people who were still watching Twin Peaks when its TV run ended won't be disappointed. By the side-splittingly, co- the side-splittingly odd premiere of this David Lynch and Mark Frost comedy, though their numbers will dwindle by at least a half dozen after the dreadful second episode. Now that Lynch has had his way with both the hour and half-hour genres, 
the director of such features as Blue Velvet, Eraserhead, and Wild at Heart can at least say that he's had an affair with TV. Many thanks from the mistress, but from now on, it's probably best to stay faithful to the wife. <laughs> and the, wow. AV, the AV Club re-review says, The show is a little more than a footnote to Peaks and to Frost and Lynch's career, but it did seem to unlock in Lynch a fixation on the act of filming, which would go on to play important parts in Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, and in Lind Empire. So, that's all I got for uh, the show, but I did want to do one one feature that we haven't busted out for a while, and I didn't tell you guys about this, so hopefully we'll be able to uh, come up with some good answers regardless. This is a, a little thing that we like to call spin-off. All right, Alan, so for spin-off, we are mm-hmm. taking a character from this pilot, mm. and we are spinning them out into their own show. All right? Mm-hmm. So who do you think would have the most interesting spin-off of all the characters who are presented in On the Air? I want to see, I want to see a show of Blinky trying okay. to uh, trying to run sound for like like have him being like a very special episode of all these different TV shows and just have him <laughs> running the sound for them like home impro- like a very special home improvement with Blinky <laughs> running the sound I like, like it. with a live audience. So he would That's... go from like show to show. You know, yeah. if you could even like it would be really easy to film because they could take the pre- the episodes that were already created and he could kind of like overdub them like uh, mystery science theater style. Yeah. Like he could just come yep. in and provide his own score. <laughs> yeah, man. That's I'm kinda, down with it. That's kind of genius. <laughs> we should tell Lynch about this. Uh, John, do you have a do you have a spin-off that you Oh want to boy. See? This is this is a toughie, man. I know. I know. I've got one if you need a little more time. Yeah, can you go? <laughs> okay. I, I've got I've got a couple options. One is I would I think that the uh, the director character he, he him being the nephew of the network president, I think he is a very like high-pressured character. Like, he has to live up to, like, the network president. He's, like, thrown into shows that he probably doesn't want to direct in the first place. Just like his life and having to bounce around to whatever his network president uncle wants him to direct for, like, a chance, in quotes, right? So I think that would make for a good show. And also the the old producer guy, Dwight McGonagall, it seems like he's kind of like a, an old seasoned vet. He's, like, a producer for hire, you know, he's like been on a lot of shit productions. He's like kind of the guy who has his head on straight out of everybody, but he's just kind of like in the chaos. He might like him bouncing around from show to show and trying to find like a steady gig. I would watch that as well, I think. Not what bad. Do, what do you got, John? I got a show about Betty Hudson. <laughs> okay. The actress. Uh, similar to what you said, I thought it could be kind of like how when Friends ended, Joey had this like horrible spinoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you spin her off into like the show where, yeah, she's like a struggling actress and she's terrible at it and like can't get a job because, you know. She can't memorize her lines. Right. Something. <laughs> she's more than a dim bulb. She's a burnout fuse, I oh. believe was a quote from this show. So, so would the show be called Dim Bulb? Yes, I think, I think it or burnout. <laughs> um, okay, let's do our plugs. Alan, what do you got for some plugs? Where can they find you on Twitter? Um, any recent reviews you want to point them to on Modern Vinyl? Anything like that? I hate doing my Twitter handle because it's terrible. That's you okay. tell me that every time I give it to you. 
it's, but it it's is, it at, is pretty bad but I it's terrible it. it's terrible i didn't know how to use twitter when i set that up ages ago but it's, right. it's uh it's at Mueller, M-E-E-L-E-R underscore time, T-I-M-E. Gotcha. That's my Twitter handle. Uh, reviews, I don't know. It's, I've had a handful of reviews here lately. The one, I guess one of the best ones was this uh, really strange folk album that I got in the mail from F.J. McMahon mm-hmm. called Spirit of the Golden Juice, which I still don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds I, I, I really think, strange. I think Pretty you know good. what it means. <laughs> I don't know what that means, Chris, but it was a really solid folk album. This dude like recorded in a garage and they found his tapes years later and it's it's a really neat little record. So I would say look that up and give it a listen. It's a pretty great review. Pretty great write up. John, what are the uh, what are your plugs this week? Um, Pilot Study Pod on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Grimes John on Twitter. That's about it. Um, since we already plugged Pilot Study, I w- I'll, I'll plug a show. I started watching The Good Place, which is on Netflix. Oh, you did? Okay. I really like it. I did not expect oh. to like it. I thought it'd be like the kind of like the ugly stepsister of like the last good run of NBC shows, which of course ended with like Parks and Rec and Community. But it definitely would belong in that lineup. It's of that quality. Ted Danson's hilarious as always, and yeah, go watch the Good Place because it deserves our love and oh. views, and uh, yeah, it's it's surpri- it's surprisingly deep for what I expected it to be. So I was wow. impressed. Yeah. Good, good. All right, let's wrap it up. Thank you guys very much for listening. Again, on the air is available on YouTube. <laughs> if somehow after this discussion you still want to go watch it, <laughs> and uh, of course. <laughs> We appreciate all the listens and all the subscribers. You can go find us over at our new home of uh, Fireside. And let me get that. I believe I said it on the last pod, but I still don't know the exact name. So let me go grab that really, really quick. That is at the web address of pilotstudypod.fireside.fm. Uh, so please go, go check out our new home. Of, of course, you can also subscribe on iTunes and all those good podcast services. Thank you, Alan, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks. Hey, thanks for having me, man. And John, thank you for joining me today. I know <laughs> I know it was a big strain on you and you had to watch hey. it in, you had to watch it in three parts, so you had to click three times and like <laughs> I know, it was, it was just, rough. It was just a was hard rough. day for you. All right, thank you guys very much. We'll talk to you soon. Skate world out here, babe. Thoroughbred like you, we would own this damn street. I'm gonna keep what I earn. I don't need you. I don't need anybody else to hold my money for me. Frankie, you stole Tommy everything, including today's fig. Frankie, he owes everybody in New York City. My name's Vincent. My twin brother. We don't have the cash to cover his debt. We gotta get it and deliver. No late payments. Understood. Everyone against the van. If I was you, never know what show they're gonna talk about. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Oh, bummer.